Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And Alice, we are back for episode two of Birds of Paradise, an ongoing and ever-spiraling analysis of The Enchanted Tiki Room. That's right. We are back with episode two. Uh, last time we talked about the Enchanted Tiki Room, uh, what it what it is, what's in it, the music you hear, just some very basic top level stuff about the Tiki Room. And so this episode, we're going to go one layer deeper. Yes. Consider this the uh, very uh, the, the, the dive just below the surface of <laughs> what is being presented in the Tiki Room, because there's there's still stuff to analyze about it. And I feel like if we're going to talk about it as our primary text through all of these different lenses, we should have kind of a, a second reading going here where we kind of an- analyze what what's being communicated by the Tiki Room. How does it tell its story? And what are some unique things about the story it tells in its entirety? And Alice, one of the things, perhaps the most obvious thing, the thing that more than anything makes the Tiki Room unique to me is that it has a food item associated (laughs) with it. You're you're absolutely right. Uh, We thought for a while to find another example of uh, another ride or experience that has a uh, such a focus on food, and we cannot find one that even comes close to matching the Dole Whip. Yeah, and the Dole Whip, or the Dole Float, which is my preferred way to consume oh, Dole Whip. Um, <laughs> the, the Dole Whip and Dole Float are, are two items that are available as a, sort of an attachment to the Tiki Room. It was only recently that it was available anywhere else in the park, and that's actually just right next door in the Tropical Hideaway that just recently opened. Um, otherwise, it was a food item that you could only get in front of the Enchanted Tiki Room, and often I would see cues in front of the Dole Pineapple Whip uh, stand, but no line for the Tiki Room. In fact, you can go around (laughs) the line in front of the stand, get in line for the Tiki Room, get let into the pre-show area, and buy at that cash register within the the queue area. You just walk into the Tiki Room sometimes if you're there on a good day and there's no line at all, and the door's open, ready to go. You just skip around the line at the Dole Whip and just walk into the Tiki Room. But, but there's I always a line at the Dole, Dole Whip. I recommend getting a Dole Whip before you go. <laughs> I recommend mobile ordering a Dole Whip <laughs> while you're turning the corner and walking up to the Dole Whip stand. And then Very you can smart. just grab it and go. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> but this is not an advice podcast for it, how to attend Disney properly. We're talking about not. the Tiki Room. Right. Uh, but, okay. So the last time that I entered the tiki room without some kind of dull pineapple whip in my hand was when i went to the tiki room's 50th anniversary party in 2013 uh when i was a cast member and we ate hawaiian pizza inside the tiki room that's so nice and the pineapple whip stand of course was not open because it was after hours and we were celebrating 50 years at the tiki room there were only uh, like like maybe 50 people at that it was pretty cool um, That's really nice. But I wouldn't imagine going as a guest and 
entering the tiki room without a dull pineapple whip and that's wild isn't it that's really strange i mean sure with the with very few exceptions like allergies i would say don't go into there without it without a dull whip in your hand that's it's it adds to the experience and it has become so synonymous with the tiki room um, and has, as we talked about before on this show, a like a, a cult following of its own that I feel like at some point you'd be doing yourself a disservice, not at least trying it. And and it's right there. And <laughs> it is right there. And, and so my question to you, Alice, is why does this attraction get to engage the sense of taste? Well, no other attraction gets to do so. I can't imagine another attraction that gets this. This, You know what? You know what it reminds me of? Hmm. It reminds me of uh, movie theaters and sports events where getting your hot dog or your popcorn is like part of it. Yeah, you're, you're right. And there are other attractions at Disney parks that are just shows. Um, but But none of them have the that I can think of off the top of my head, have the opportunity to grab your snack before you go into your show. Does it have something to do with how long the Tiki Room show is? or Maybe. Or is it just how hard Disney has pushed its collaboration with Dole um, and how how hard the fans have locked into the Dole Whip? It is admittedly a really delicious snack. Um but there are other delicious snacks at Disney and there are other shows and it's not as if Disneyland doesn't have other food items that are not emblematic of themed areas right Right. like uh, I always try to get a mint julep when I visit when I'm in New Orleans Square and I know that the Ronto wrap has become a really big thing for visitors of Galaxy's Edge it's my favorite favorite food that is all I will eat for lunch at Disneyland now even even within uh, Adventureland, I love going to the Bengal, Bengal barbecue. Oh, and, and getting, getting a skewer? Yeah, getting a mm. few skewers for lunch. I mean, these are the things we look forward to about Disneyland that engage our taste buds. And yet, no other attraction is like, hey, uh, welcome to the Haunted Mansion. Grab your ghost juice on the way in. Because <laughs> uh, that sounds terrible, actually. No, and, and a lot of the other attractions, like, like for obvious reasons, don't want you to bring food and drink on. Um, but none of the shows, like, I can't, there wasn't, like, a, a little stand outside the Country Bear Jamboree offering uh, a themed snack before you go watch that show. It's just, it's just the Dole Whip. And I can't help but thinking, like, it has to be the collaboration with the Dole Pineapple Company, which we will dive into in great detail in another episode. But yes. they, but Dole has, has been sponsoring the Tiki Room since the 70s. Yeah, and I feel like now is a good time to talk about just how like visible that sponsorship is around the Tiki Room. Because it's not just a sign out in front that says sponsored by Dole. Which it's, is usually the case with sponsorships of attractions at Disneyland yeah, with uh, in ex- this day and age. With the exception of, like, Autopia, which is very deliberately sponsored um, by whatever car company. or It's it, Honda. It's Honda now. It used to be Chevron yeah. before. Um, other, other than that, um, I can't really think of another example where the where the 
advertising is so powerful than, yeah. than the tiki room. And advertising used to be a much bigger part of many Disney attractions. Um, you know, a, a lot of people will point us towards Epcot for sponsored attractions. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of those sponsorships have expired over the years. Uh, Tomorrowland, for example, used to have a Journey Through Inner Space sponsored by Monsanto, which we yeah. have talked about in the that past. That aged real well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it used to, you know, Star Tours used to be very prominently uh, sponsored by Energizer. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Um, um, but I would never... Something interesting about the sponsorship of the Dole Pineapple Company of the Enchanted Tiki Room is that it feels almost inseparable, which is odd because they're not even the first sponsors of the attraction. That's true. As we mentioned last week, United Airlines was the first sponsor of the attraction. And they're not even the only sponsors of the attraction because the Citrus Board of Florida is the sponsor of the Orlando attraction, actually. That's true. Uh, so what we're looking at here is this weird space where it seems like Dole and the Enchanted Tiki Room are kind of intertwined, but also it's totally artificial. But you see Dole everywhere in the show, in the pre-show, and you taste Dole all through the show. And no other attraction, maybe with the exception of Autopia, at Disneyland, is this forward about advertising? I mean, the Enchanted Tiki Room has a Dole ad in the pre-show. It that's yes, it is. It is true. five minutes of cartoon about how delicious Dole pineapples are, <laughs> and there's a jingle, and it's like Dole is the flavor of the islands, and it's very catchy. Uh huh. And that's weird. That's super it's- weird. It's really weird. And it used to be even more, um, even I think more strange. The the older Dole pineapple uh, advertisement that would play in the pre-show, like through the 90s, yeah, um, was very, um, let's call it colonialist. Yeah. Um, let's call it, um, let's call it maybe almost exploitative yeah. uh, it was instead of oh just all about the dole pineapples it was a um it was like a old-fashioned propaganda film about how awesome dole is to the to the hawaiian islands and how important dole is to hawaii and how important hawaii is to uh to america i think it says no less than two times in that old film that only kings could eat pineapples uh <laughs> back in the day so and it's a yeah it's a it's a strange there's an extended sequence in there where it like glorifies a factory floor where people are chopping up pineapples and it's like look at this wonderful factory so efficient <laughs> and uh so great that we're exporting the flavors of hawaii and it's like whoa this is a lot. They, they have <laughs> toned it down quite a lot since then, but it's it's odd that there's multiple minutes that are focused on a company, not Disney, right here in front of one of their signature classic attractions. It's definitely strange. And it, yeah, it's it's so pervasive in the like culture around the Tiki Room. Um, and 
has attracted such a such a following. Not like they know Dole like sp- is a is a company and sponsors it, but they always use the word Dole when they're talking when they say Dole Whip. They don't say oh that pineapple soft serve or or even pineapple whip or anything about that. People always refer to it as a Dole Whip. That's not even like its proper title, is it? It's no. a it's officially a Dole pineapple. It's got a longer name, right? Yeah. But people yeah. just call it the Dole Whip. Yeah. And and without even really thinking about why the word Dole is in there, except that except that it's it's like calling all tissues Kleenexes, for example. Almost, <laughs> or, almost. Uh, um, and it's it's interesting because it seems simultaneously invisible and everywhere, and it's also very very prominent and called out multiple times. Like yeah. Dole's name is all over the tiki room. And yet, we're not like, ah, yes, time to patronize the Dole Company. We're like, oh, man, got to get my pineapple whip. Got to get my Dole whip. Got to get my Dole whip. Without even thinking about what it means. Or the fact that it's really the only place in in the park. Well, one of only maybe two places in the park where that kind of advertising about a another company that's not Disney is so like shoved in your face and down your throat. It's it's. Uh, overwhelming once you kind of take a step back and look at it yeah. how how much it, it is um, and we will obviously elaborate further in another episode about what the Dole Pineapple Company um, how like where they got their start and um, and why they inserted themselves as the name in pineapples Um but for now, we're just talking about the attraction, yeah. and um, and I think we should talk. I think we should talk uh, one more thing about the pre-show. Uh, is it the pre-pre-show? Um, what you do when you've got your Dole Whip in your hand and you're sitting out in this little patio waiting to go inside the tiki room itself? I would call this the pre-show, not the pre-pre-show. <laughs> um, the, the pre-show. Where um, you are just to, to take the connection between Dole and the Tiki Room and the Hawaiian Islands one step further, you are surrounded by representations of the gods of the Hawaiian pantheon and uh, and like Polynesian um, Polynesian gods uh, and uh, there's Maui and Tangaroa and all of these other. Um, these other god figures uh, represented as little tikis and they have a cute little rhyming couplet about what they're you know what they represent and what they're the god of and you're sitting there surrounded by signs that say dole pineapple eating your dole pineapple and and watching this presentation about Hawaii all or about what's you know like important to this religion uh, and all at the same time, you're kind of immersed in it right away. Yeah, I wanna I wanna say like three things about <laughs> the tiki gods out front. Yes. Um, one, the ad plays before the tiki gods speak. Oh I yeah. I think that's a really interesting timing. Like you have to watch the commercial before the pre-show can even begin. Um, two. I've more often than not noticed that people pretty much ignore this part of the show. Um, And I've been one of them. Like, I'm not paying a lot of attention to every god as they light up and do their thing. 
And I feel like it's really odd how these tiki gods are kind of strewn about the outside of this little patio area. Uh, and they're almost completely disconnected from a lot of guests. Uh, and because it seems like they really tell an interesting part of the story. Uh, and three, they're actually really intricate and cool from an artistic standpoint. Like, it's odd how much is going on with these guys. Uh, Pele lights on fire. Oh my gosh, that's my favorite part. Yeah, and then <laughs> Pele's like, I'm Pele, and then she like explodes. That's cool. Uh, Tangaroa gives birth right there. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tangaroa has the um, has the the little plants that emerge from other plant, like the plants drop from from the branches and get yeah. longer, and it's so pretty. It's really really close to guests too. It's odd that nobody like reaches up and messes with that. Maybe people <laughs> do, um, but he's, I can imagine he goes, kids do. <laughs> he goes stand back, and then and then down from his branches emerge new tiny gods and life. Um, it's really interesting. I guess if I were to say a fourth thing about this, it's that it's really offensive. <laughs> it's really, it's very, um... Infantilizing. Infantilizing, that's a good word. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's very, it's a very simplistic view of this very complicated, complex, multicultural, it's not just Hawaii, right? Like, there are multiple cultures in, like, the Polynesian area and and that that all kind of share similar gods or like it's like they combined a bunch of gods from a bunch of different cultures together yeah and uh and just present them all as like one pantheon and and it's like the simplified like baby version of what these got i'm the god of fire i'm the god of water i'm the you know and and make it really simplified and not like not intricate or or complex at all no everybody gets like you said like a rhyming couplet they like say their name and then they do a little rhyme about what they do and mm -hmm. it's not good it's not <laughs> it's not respectful it doesn't explain anything about them it does about eight gods in five minutes uh and overall it leaves me feeling weirded out at the end of it all uh Definitely. it is it feels very 1963 but more than that it feels very i don't know like like updating this concept at all might not work in the first place right um and we can we can we can talk about that further in another episode um about when we talk about other relation like relations with the with the Hawaiian islands and Hawaiian culture in, in general. Uh we're still just in this second layer here. Yeah. <laughs> um so so you go you go inside. One last thing I think we should we should just talk about real quick before we go um is the uh is maybe we should talk about the host birds for a minute. Maybe we should talk about the birds in general. Yeah. I, I kind of want to talk about all the animatronic actors, but I think the birds are the most prominent yes and the, the host birds are for sure worthy of focus for a moment um specifically all of it <laughs> <laughs> the main thing that i want to talk about is that these four host birds are four national stereotypes 
Yes, you've got uh, you've got Jose, who is supposed to represent Mexico. You've got Pierre, who's supposed to represent France. You've got Michael, who represents Ireland, and you've got Fritz, who represents Germany. Yeah. Did I get them all right? I think you did. And I didn't look at my notes. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, each of them does, like, Pierre is very vain and uh, talks about his profile and he's very French. And, like, <laughs> Fritz is like, Ach du Liebe, right? And it's like, it's just a lot. And, and Michael, he's like old and salty and meh. <laughs> and Ho- Jose, as kind of the leader of the bunch, uh, he, he just seems. I don't know. Everything about Jose's presentation is problematic. It is. Um, it is. He's he's difficult to talk about. He's our he's our leader. He's our host. He speaks first. He makes m- the most jokes. Um, he speaks the most and has the most over the top accent. I think. I think so. And it's interesting to note that he was voiced by a white man. Yes. Um. It's also um, interesting to note that there are things about how he speaks that are clearly just not reflective of any real life accent. No, <laughs> um, it's definitely like a what people in the early 1960s uh, would have thought that all people from Mexico sounded like. Yeah. Uh, it's very, um, again, it's very simplified. It's very um, exaggerated. And it takes, you know, it takes no subtleties into account at all. Um, and it's just, um, it's a lot. It's a lot. And, um, and, and I love, I love Jose. I think yeah. he, I think he's so funny. His plumage is gorgeous. Um, I love that he's our host. Um, I don't love his accent. <laughs> no. And I, I think you can... This is this is kind of a problem to go on a bit of a tangent uh, of it, it's kind of what I might call Apu syndrome, Ooh, where yeah. Apu is a character on The Simpsons who is Hindu and Indian and is played by a white man. And in many ways, Apu is an interesting progressive character that is very human humanized and humanizing, um, and is used to explore a lot of really complicated. Uh, cultural inter exchanges uh, between white America and uh, Indian Americans. But again, at the end of the day, written and played by white men. Uh, So there's still that problematic thing happening there, right? Right. Uh, So you can still love the character for what he represents and what he brings to the show, but there are still all of those questions about whose voices are actually being heard. And I think Jose represents that same problem except instead of being a 1990s problem jose is a (laughs) 1960s problem so instead of being complex and good-natured and representing cultural exchange jose is a one big joke character and again i would say infantilizing uh i would say like america and americans watching this white americans specifically are supposed to be placed in a position of power as the audience and kind of as tourists in this little moment. And Jose is there to be a friendly guide uh, and trustworthy and funny and silly, yes, but also not not with his own complex inner workings. Uh, And he doesn't bring any of that to the table. 
so he's endearing for sure but there isn't anything else going on with the character none of them do <laughs> there are four four characters in to, four characters with like speaking roles in this uh in the show and all four of them are broken down to their most basic stereotypes of uh of how america or how 1960s america views parts of the world um the french guy pierre he doesn't have um hardly any like redeeming qualities to him at all he, oh, he not, sings very beautifully he does <laughs> sing very beautifully um but he's very he's very vain and when he talks to the like the ladybirds he's very flirty and it's very i mean it's like it's like how how Americans in the 60s would have been like, oh yeah, France? Yeah, they're a bunch of, you know, snobby, snooty flirts or whatever, which is like not, obviously not true and really silly, but that's just how this show treats its character, its characters with speaking roles, all four of them. Um, and I think that I think it's okay that four birds who just host a cute show about singing other birds don't have like complex inner lives. Sure. Um, but they are very um, they walk they walk this line and occasionally trip violently over the line into uh, gross stereotypes. Yeah, and the more we talk about it, the more I start to arrive at a bit of a conclusion about why these birds are the way they are. The question we asked last episode for ourselves was, why are they birds and why these four nations? Like, why these four nationalities? And I'm thinking about how there's this infantilization going on with Jose and this kind of gross stereotyping going on with these other birds. And I remember the infantilization that's happening with the people of Hawaii mm -hmm. and I'm starting to form a picture in my mind of a worldview where Hawaii is just as exotic as these other far off lands <laughs> visit Germany visit France visit Mexico visit Hawaii visit and Ireland don't forget Ireland I would never <laughs> uh, and I feel like it's setting Hawaii up to be familiar Mexico is our neighbor to the south Germany, France, uh, Ireland. This is the heritage of many white Americans. Also places so, that a lot of white Americans, especially in the early 60s, would be familiar with due to the giant war that just finished. You might remember it. It was yeah. called the American Revolution. Um, <laughs> no, the World War II. Uh, Obviously. And the parallels that are being drawn between these uh, kind of cartoony nationalities being represented in the four host birds and the cartoony culture that's being represented in these the Hawaiian characters, yeah, in the pre-show, in the flowers, in the tiki. Um, this is all part of that same American exceptionalism. Like, these are these other places. And you can, <laughs> it's not that hard to view other places and enjoy their cultures. And it's all part of that othering that's happening uh, here. And I sure. feel like having them be birds and having them be cartoon representations of these four nations and having the rest of the room be this cartoony representation of Hawaii uh, draws this parallel as if to say these places are all basically the same. Accessible, friendly, nice, love loves Americans. We're <laughs> Americans. And I feel like that's a, 
you know, that's a very 1963 thing. And I'm starting to uncover, I think, some of what we're going to have to talk about next, which is the history of how we end up with a place like the Enchanted Tiki Room. Yeah, um, absolutely. I just was thinking it, it's suddenly extremely clear what you just said. It's extremely clear why it was originally um, originally sponsored by an airline. Um, hey, fly this airline and go visit these countries that you just kind of met in uh, in this enchanted tiki room. Oh, yeah. Isn't and that great? And I bet great? at the time, Hawaii would have been offering some of the early flights to Hawaii for American tourists. Yeah. It's true. Uh, they were. And that was a big promo and why they decided to, uh, I, I was just reading about it, why they decided to, to sponsor at the beginning. Um, and the switch over to Dole doing the sponsoring, I think uh, I think that's, that's a natural segue here into what we will be talking about uh, in future episodes where we talk about the history of uh, the American uh, influence in the Hawaiian Islands and um, and where that influence and that um, that takeover brings us to to why Disney would want to make a a show about Hawaii in the first place. Yes, um, and we will be covering those topics. Uh, in the in the future in this in this very show yeah and I guess that means that our conversation about layer two of (laughs) Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room at Disneyland has come to an end but the conversation does continue online that's true it does we are always online we're constantly on Twitter you can follow the show on Twitter at happy places pod and you can follow us individually on Twitter as well. I'm on Twitter and on Instagram at Alice White THP for those happy places. And I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. You find us on Twitter. We'll send you a link to our Discord server. If you like Discord, you join that server where we can have big, long conversations about this topic and many, many others. So you should do that. Yeah, you join uh, our Discord. The Discord server is called Those Happy Podcasts, and that Yay. refers to some of our other shows, including Rogue Fun, a podcast story, which is back and really has has reached uh, full speed again. We've done two episodes, one a month for the last two months. Yes, uh, and this and... last episode was an hour and 40 minutes long, about five minutes of film. So if you like Star Wars, you definitely, definitely want to tune in to this one. And if you want to listen to that and you want to learn more about it and the other shows that we do, you should go ahead and find us on our Patreon, patreon.com slash those happy places. Yes, on the Patreon, there are many different levels at which you can uh, donate to the show and support what we do on the internet with podcasts. Uh, and I would like to extend a special thank you to Charles Gustine of the Iconography Podcast and Aslam Chowdhury for their $7 D-ticket donation. They are absolutely excellent gentlemen. Um, it was just Aslam's birthday. Happy birthday, Aslam. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and if you want to be one of these people that gets your name read on the show, go ahead and find us at patreon.com slash those happy places. Yes. Uh, Alice, I'm going to add some music to this episode. And where would you have found that music? I went out and found this music on the free music archive. This entire show's soundtrack, uh, this 
miniseries's soundtrack, that is, uh, comes from the Free Music Archive. Uh, the album is called Two Zombies Later, and there are multiple tracks from that album. You can find their titles and links to those tracks in the show notes, along with the Creative Commons 4.0 attribution license that allows us to use them. Yes, thank you, Free Music Archive. Thank you, uh, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Buddy Duquesne, for being such an excellent co-host. Oh, Alice, I wouldn't dream of doing this show without you. Uh, (laughs) You are my favorite co-host, and I will always appreciate the time and effort that you dedicate to these shows. Aw, same. (laughs) You're the best, Buddy. You know that. Thank you. Uh, And to everyone out there, thank you for listening, and we hope you return to our tropical hideaway.